Good morning, good evening. Matthew Grant here, one of the partners at Instec London. Now, as you would have heard if you listened last week to the podcast, Instec is back out from behind the screen and live on stage. And we had some excellent guests and welcome back over 180 of you to our regular venue at the Steel Yard in central London, where you can look out for the highlights from that just as soon as we catch our breath to be able to do the edits. Well, Robin Mertens, my other partner at Instec, is back again this week behind the microphone. And this time he is talking to Mark Allen from Booper. Now, those of you in the UK will, I'm sure, know Bupa as one of the largest private healthcare providers in the UK. They've got a sizable insurance business as well. Well, no surprise, the last 18 months has created many challenges for Bupa. But as you're about to hear from Mark, the company responded very fast to the uncertainty of COVID and in many ways is emerging stronger and certainly with a more robust digital offering. We're delighted to have Bupa as a corporate member of Instec, but I'd also like to thank our friends at Fedata, another of our corporate members who are supporting us in releasing these podcasts and keeping the quality high. Fedata has been providing software to the insurance market for over 30 years. Its insurance process platform, INSIS, that's I-N-S-I-S, spans the entire insurance product lifecycle for life, non-life and healthcare insurance. You can find out more about Fedata at www.fedata.eu. We'll put a link in the episode notes, but if you want to go there now, Fedata is spelled F-A-D-A-T-A. Now, over to Robin and Mark. This week we're delving into health insurance, and I'm absolutely delighted to have with me Mark Allen, who's the Commercial Director UK for Booper. Mark, welcome. Morning, Robin. Thank you for joining me now. First, I'm intrigued to know what a, what a Commercial Director at Booper actually does in a day. We go to market um, in insurance through a number of different channels. So my, my responsibility is all distribution, all marketing, all, all kind of main commercial activity. And it's everything from what we would call Booper Direct, where you or I are phoning up and buying a health insurance policy, right through to big corporate schemes. And also I look after all of our, what we call them specialist businesses. So cash plans, dental insurance, and also um, we've got a little bit of travel insurance. 23 years at RSA, four years at Booper. Why insurance in the first place? The reason I ended up at RSA, or one of the reasons, was um, I was in the sixth form and Royal Heritage were running something called the Head Start Scheme, which was basically they were looking to sponsor undergraduates. They gave me a £1,000 a year, guaranteed me a summer job. I ended up with two offers. Uh, Midland Bank, as it was then, and Royal Insurance. And frankly, I looked at the two and I thought insurance looked more interesting than banking. So I went with insurance. For what it's worth, I think you made the right decision. Are there any diff- noticeable differences between running a health insurer and, and running a you know, UK composite? Yeah, I, I mean, there's loads of similarities. In, insurance fundamentals are, are, are still the same. You know, get your pricing right, manage claims well, give great, great customer service. Where the, the big difference is, is probably in the nature of what we're looking after. Uh, you know, it's not physical property. It's a, well, it's a body and a mind, I, I, I guess, but it's very different. But in health insurance, you've probably just got more reason than you've got of a, with a car insurer or a home insurer to just be more relevant and, and more um, opportunity for customers to actually be interested in the thing that they've bought. I also looked after pet insurance at RSA and pet insurance was an interesting step towards health insurance, actually, because you did start to see that emotional attachment to, to the pet. I think this takes it onto another level again uh, around looking after yourself or your family. This is really why I, I we were so desperate to get you on, because because it's exactly that that I think would be 
really interesting because I'm fascinated to know what it was like to run the health insurance during the pandemic. What was it like? What did it change? I remember the evening when Boris um, announced the first lockdown and making the phone call that night saying to tell our people, right, you don't come in tomorrow, knowing that that was going to cause us a real headache. Frantic, sort of probably a couple of weeks really, getting moving to home working um, and amazed ourselves, I think, about what we managed to achieve, myths that we we bust in that period you know, where you can't do that particular line of business anywhere other than that office because it's run off the server that's in the cupboard. And then you find that actually you could, and and you managed to do it within two weeks. And then the ongoing kind of people challenges around what it meant to engage people and look after people and and really extreme things. Every business would have had that. We obviously had then customer challenges, so obvious ones like answering the phone. But the big thing for health insurance was suddenly that the the capacity dried up and through a combination of lockdown and uh, private capacity being moved over to the NHS, it meant that people were paying a a premium for a policy, and theoretically we're going to struggle to be able to use it um, in, in some cases. So that was probably the biggest thing for us. You know, what do we do about that? Especially when you're sat there as the market leader, uh, you know, in many people's eyes, you are health insurance. So we had a, a big kind of responsibility, I think, to, to to step up, and we had to make some quick decisions. So we made the decision very early on um, to announce that we would return any any exceptional profit that we made from the, from that period of disruption, which was obviously down to not our loss ratio dropping and, and creating extra value. That was a bit of a headache, complex to work through, loads of communication to do to individual customers and also the brokers in the intermediary market. And how do we manage them? And how do we manage big employers? And I'm delighted to say that we were able to announce um, that we would pay back um, £125 million to our customers through through all the different channels that we operate as we sit here today, pretty much there's a little bit left to do, but largely we've paid that money back and we've always felt that was the right thing to do. It was a PR disaster for the insurance industry, the, the whole sort of pandemic and the way it reacted. But but I think your uh, rebate makes you a sort of star of the show. What, what's the public reaction been like? When you go into a period like this, your aim is to make sure you come out of the other end of it with your reputation intact. You can do things that end up with your reputation enhanced, then that's that's a real bonus. The industry press gave us an award as the best pandemic responsible of all insurers in the life and health industry. The brokers have been very supportive and um, very welcoming of the fact that the market leader has stepped up in in that way. And, And individual customers have been really grateful. There's still a debate about whether claims come back. And this is one of the things, again, going back to the uniqueness of health insurance, I guess in um, car insurance, the fact that people didn't drive for a bit, it didn't mean they were suddenly going to drive twice as much when they went back on the road. With health insurance, we still hold a belief that it's pent up demand or delays to treatment that will come back and mean that claims volumes are higher than we expect. So our actuaries are still wrestling with that a a little bit. Our trust pilot score, which has gone up as we come out of COVID compared to before. So we're now at 4.4 out of 5, which places us as the top health insurer. Do you think there are any long-term trends or effects that you're concerned about? I'm thinking now particularly about uh, long COVID and the kind of inevitable mental health consequences of of lockdown and and COVID itself. Does that worry you at all? I think there's probably three that I'd pull out. Mental health, undoubtedly. There's lots of evidence that we're seeing um, where employers um, have stepped up. So um, we ran a survey, the, the Bupa Workplace Wellbeing Census, where we 
um, surveyed about 4,000 employees across 13 um, UK industries. 36% of, of um, people believe their employer is more understanding of their mental health than before the, the pandemic. If you look at the claims volumes, we definitely have seen claims volumes on mental health above 2019, which would be our kind of normalised view. And, and, you know, you can work through a lot of the reasons why that's true. Isolation, maybe financial well-being and, and, and so on. Cancer um, is a biggie. doesn't get talked about as much probably as, as mental health. But obviously, one of the things with cancer is speed of access is, is incredibly important. And there's no doubt either people couldn't get to treatment quickly enough. We work really hard to try and find ways of making sure that wasn't the case. So still trying to make sure people had access to cancer services or, or providing new means to, to do diagnosis. So skin cancer diagnosis, for example, done over a mobile phone. That was one of the things we launched through the pandemic. Undoubtedly, there's probably a hangover of, of cancer cases, which are inevitably going to be more serious than they needed to be because there's just been a, a bit of a delay. And then the other one is long COVID. It's very uncertain kind of what long COVID um, really is at the moment. There's lots of symptoms that are very that, that we're very used to handling to do with respiratory um, conditions. Um, the Booker Cromwell Hospital set up a long COVID clinic. So that's that's going to enable us to learn more about the that, that particular strain of illness. Um, and what's quite interesting, actually, is that at that clinic, the average age of patients we're seeing is 40 and, and two thirds of them are women. So. You know, it's interesting that although a lot of people talk about COVID and it being the elderly that were vulnerable, you know, maybe there's a case on long COVID that it's that it's younger and, and, and maybe um, potentially more biased to, to women over, over men. I think there's just loads we don't know yet. On that sort of subject, you mentioned then, you know, skin cancer uh, analysis using a mobile phone or something. I mean, that's an obvious uh, area to explore a bit further. Uh, I mean, we've been talking here about COVID as a digital accelerant and, and a lot of talks about how this has had some sort of uh, accelerating effect on investment and transition that insurance companies are going to take to a truly digital world. And I am a tad sceptical about that from your own position and your sort of own uh, analysis of what's going on, you and your peers and health insurance generally. Was it a digital accelerant? I mean, is suddenly everybody investing in becoming a digital health insurer? from last March to today has has accelerated, and I'd be careful with the word digital, I guess, has accelerated things, insurers need to do some things which enable customers to access services that don't require you to physically go somewhere or to do stuff themselves. And, and some of it is not, some of it's very unsophisticated, so it could be as simple as a form of stock online because it enabled us to cope with the fact that people were struggling to get through on the phone right through to much more sophisticated things, which are probably here to stay. Um, for example, digital um, primary care. So if you look at digital um, GP services, we, we partner with Babylon. We, we've had that service for probably three or four years um, in place, and, and we've seen huge uh, adoption and engagement with that service through the, the pandemic period. In the last year, we've seen over 250,000 appointments through there. It's about 4,500 appointments a week. The customer satisfaction with that service is fantastic. So, you know, 90% of customers rating that at, at five stars. Um, we've recently tested a new virtual physiotherapy service. We've already done about 6,000 appointments there. So we are constantly now looking to, to try out new ways of, of, of delivering care where it's appropriate and where it's possible to do it virtually. The one that really surprised me 
dental insurance is one of our um, uh, um, really big growth businesses and, and partly because we also own about 500 dental practices. And one of the ones I never expected us to say was we launched the ability to have a, a, a dental checkup via your iPhone. I'm not for one minute suggesting it's as effective as sat in the surgery, but it was effective enough that if you had something obvious that did need some treatment you hadn't kind of realised, then we could get you to an emergency centre to be looked at. More strategically, there is enormous an enormous amount of effort and time going in and, and money going into helping Booper transform into a a truly digital um, insurer because we'll need to be um, going forward and we'll need to work very closely with hospital consultants and our clinics um, to, to make sure that's a great experience for, for people. This old issue of digital engagement uh, with the customer, the ability to have sort of more regular contact, the uh, opportunity to collect data about them on a more regular basis is probably top three things on the agenda for most of them. But I'm I'm not necessarily persuaded that that's what customers want. Certainly, I don't want regular engagement uh, with my life insurer. I've I've insured my life and and I probably don't want them to know much about my lifestyle. But is that a thing? I mean, do do you think your customers want regular engagement with you, do you think? Health insurance, I think, has an opportunity to to be a topic that people are actually more inclined, I think, to engage with, particularly as you get older, as I think you you become more and more interested as you start to realise that you're not immortal. Obviously, there's a there's a period when um you know when something happens and you need to be to to, to be got well, and then there's a whole period of of chronic conditions that people live with on a day to day basis, where again there's an opportunity to have a dialogue. But it's not easy to do, and it requires great data capability. It requires te- technical uh, capability that we're all on a journey of, of delivering. So that's how I'd answer it, Robin, really. I think the opportunity is much bigger for health um, than it is probably for many other insurance lines. It's true for businesses, um, and I think businesses are increasingly looking for a, a health and well-being risk manager to sit around their board table and work with them on looking after their workforces more, more effectively. We've had embedded insurance down as a really hot topic for 2021. We've, we've written a big report on it that's just been very well received. Is that a hot topic for you? We call it embedded insurance, but branded bank assurance, etc., has been going on for years. That was my job for, uh, uh, for the, my last few years at, at RSA. So I know the dynamics of how that business works, and you've got to make it – it's got to be easy to sell, um, and it's got to be slick, and it's got to, you've got to make sure that the – the service you're offering enhances the brand for the for the primary thing that you that, that is connected to. For health insurance, I think there are some challenges with it. So if you took just standard um, private medical insurance, it's probably too complex and too um, expensive to expect it to be sold as an add-on. It often it'll end up being more expensive than the thing you bought in the first place. You're seeing already examples where really low access to lower value health-related services are starting to be bolted on or offered as, as add-ons, whether that's primary care, you know, digital GP suddenly added, uh, helplines, support lines, mental health um, services. One of the advantages health gives brands who are not in health, if you bolt it on and it's sensible and there's a, there's a reason to connect them, again, you've suddenly given your life policy, for example, the opportunity to have a more regular dialogue with your customer. There's definitely going to be more to do, but it's, but it's complex. In the world in which you're operating, you're going to have to get increasingly more tech-enabled and increasingly more digital with your business. 
along with most of your peers, you'll have some sort of legacy tech issues there. Whether that's something you do in-house, whether you partner, what your general attitude to all that is. We're introducing more agile ways of working and delivering change, starting to take things out of um, legacy platforms to make them more configurable and, and easier to, and cheaper to, to, to do things to. Um, some of that is in-house. Um, some of that is partnered. Um, some of that presents new challenges for a business that have nothing to do with technology, like just the way you contract between a big in a big insurer procurement department and a tech startup and you know you, you can't dump your 200 page nda on them because um, it'll, it'll bring them down so we're, we're learning fast on that and we're going to need to keep learning fast because every six months something new's happened and and uh, things have changed what we're trying to build and evolve into is something that is flexible and gives us options to be able to adapt and change so that we can do things like embedded insurance and make the economics work of it COVID's really brought home where some of the challenges are and enabled us to zone in on, right, that's definitely something we're going to have to get to grips with, perhaps quicker than we thought going forward. You're a loyal member of the Insect London community, and, and thank you for your um, support for us. With all those things you have on the agenda, what's the sort of partner, what sort of companies do you want to hear from? Who, who would be someone who could sort of add value or add data sources we're very interested on things that can add value to that chain of stay well, get well, kind of be well, all of that end-to-end health journey um, and things that can be integrated into a customer journey and, and where people see value in partnering with us on that. Very interested. But also we shouldn't forget we're an insurer. So we're doing all the things that everybody else is doing from trying to sell a policy, policy admin, renewal, self-serve wherever we can, automation wherever we can. There's no doubt that some of these organisations or many of them where they're super focused on a particular part of the value chain and that's what they're obsessing about day in, day out. You know, they're going to be better at that particular bit than if we try and do all of it ourselves. We're getting better at sifting out things that we think really add value and we we, we don't want to waste other people's time either as well as our own. So cut, cut into the chase quickly and saying yes or no is, is also really important, I think. I don't want to fill your inbox full of people with inappropriate solutions. If they wanted to contact you, should we should we field them for you, or is there a, a natural email place you can sort of park them and look at them? Any ideas? I'm really happy to to look at them and then try and figure out: do I send it on to someone else, or probably can pick the phone up to you, Robin, and say, "What what do you think? Do you know these guys? What can we do?" So, but yeah, I'd, I'd rather know than not know. If there's something good out there, put it that way. It pays to be curious. We'll get ready for being your LinkedIn profile filled in. What else lies ahead for you? Anything that you'd like to pick out as a sort of big move that you think you'd be preparing yourself for? The obvious things that are going to trouble, certainly a health insurer over the next three years, three to five years, are seeing out the remainder of COVID and everything that went, went with that. You know, the ability to use the past to predict the future. We're going to have two years of completely blown apart claims data. So that that's going to be a headache, I think, for, for us over the next couple of years to try and work out well, what is normal. All the digital transformation piece right from fundamental technology through to neat things we can do for, for our customers and, and, and just changing the way we, we work and the kinds of people we attract. The third most scarce resource in the UK labour market is software developers. There's just something like 69,000 vacancies that are, that are going unfilled, a second only to haulage drivers and nurses. It's going to be, um, going to carry on being really interesting. When you're not being a commercial director, what do you do? And, and I can't think for a minute that over the last two years you've had any spare time at all. 
I'm a non-exec director at a company called um, TDS, the Dispute Service, where we um, work in the private rental sector, protecting deposits for, for, for tenants and increasingly branching out into providing um, dispute resolution services. I'm a Peterborough United fan, unfortunately, so I'm enjoying watching them find their feet in the championship at, at the moment. And I've got three kids who keep us keep us busy, you know, ranging from 11 to 18. So busy old life, but really enjoying it. I'm a Norwich supporter, and I have a strong suspicion that, that we might have what for the Eastern Counties passes as a, as a local derby next year. The, the Norwich Peterborough game will be... What if you get relegated? Of course, eternal optimist, as every football supporter is. So thank you very much for that. I won't be alone in finding that absolutely fascinating because we all have health issues and we all, I think, uh, have some sort of personal connection with, with health and health insurance issues. I really appreciate your time and also your support for us. And let's hope that uh, together we can get a more sort of vibrant health and, and life insurance community going. Thank you again and really appreciate it, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. Cheers. Great pleasure. Well, sometimes insurance can be a little bit abstract, but we can certainly all relate to the challenges of health insurance in the last 18 months or so. Now, as I mentioned, Instec is back and we are firing on all cylinders. Live events are back. Next up, we're going to be talking about the innovations in identifying property characteristics. That's the 11th of October in London. Doors will be open at 5.30 p.m. The registration details and everything you need to know about that are on the website. As usual, free if you're a member or corporate member. I'm afraid everybody else, you've got to pay. Now, we're still also running very well-attended digital events and releasing our monthly reports, thanks to Rebecca and her team. And you can find everything we're up to on our website, www.instec.london. Now, if you want to know what you're missing out by not being a member or anything else about what we're doing at Instec London, then please do contact either me, Matthew Grant, or Robin Mertens. You can find us on LinkedIn, or you can just email us, hello at instec.london. London.